for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, good morning. If you'd like uh, to turn to your Bibles, 1 Corinthians and chapters 3 and 4. Uh, did you enjoy Ray last week? Very good, wasn't it? Faith and mission all together. Great, great, some great stories there, and so appropriate with uh, those who are visiting from math, um, just, just the way God works. Um, so we're continuing with our theme, or re-engaging with our theme, Experiencing God in the Church, which is, uh, we're looking at 1 Corinthians, going all the way through, running right up to, to Christmas. Um, I did an introduction in the first week. Um, and then Graham spoke about the wisdom of God a couple of weeks ago, and some of that we're going to revisit because actually chapters 1 to 4, in one sense, all belong together. And I'm going to be reading this morning from uh, not my usual translation, but I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation simply because it'll save me a little bit of, ti- little bit of time because it will explain some of it as I go along. <laughs> um, Sometimes people ask those questions. We had Word Plus yesterday. It's one of the things that we were looking at about um, Bible versions and etc. And you've got the very literal ones. If you had a very literal Bible, to be honest, most of us would never understand it. Because if you followed the word order as it is in the Hebrew and the Greek, it would make no sense to us. It would all be Hebrew and Greek to us, except that it will be written in English. And uh, so a very literal one. Um, Then at the other end, you've got your paraphrases, like the message, which is one person sort of trying to expand and open up the word of God so that people can understand it in a particular group or community. And uh, the New Living Translation sort of exists somewhere down the the line, as it were. And uh, it's very good just for making things quite plain. Uh, But uh, one of the things I would always recommend is it's good to have two or three Bibles and you read them, and you, you compare them, and you, you look at how it uses words. Uh, I fall into the trap just recently of using words, and somebody has thought I was using words in a different way uh, to what I was using them. So there we are. That's the challenge of language, isn't it? But here we are, 1 Corinthians, and I'm just going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just to give us a taste of it, and, and a few verses from chapter 4. So, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready for you're still controlled by your old nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are still controlled by your old way of living? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, aren't you acting just like people in the world? After all, who is Apollos and who's Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers. And you are God's field. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. And now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. 
for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, good, gold, silver, jewels, uh, wood, hay, or straw. But on the, day, on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of, of this world, it's, it's foolishness to God. As the scripture says, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and he knows they are worthless. So don't boast about following a particular leader, human leader, for everything belongs to you, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter, or the world or life or, and death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So it's an amazing passage of scripture. And if we were to read on into the second chapter, which I'm going to be referring to as well, we'll find that there's an awful lot going on there. It's all tied together with chapters 1 and 2. So let's just remind ourselves, Corinth was a, a modern, thriving, cosmopolitan place. It was typical in its day of any modern city uh, today. It possessed the good, the bad, and the ugly. That philosophy and religion abounded. It was pluralist in every sense of the word. In other words, there was a plurality of thinking, of, of religion, and so on. And Paul came to this city, and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a church was born there and flourished there. That gives us encouragement when we think about church planting. There is no situation that is impossible to God. Amen? Absolutely none. Because it is God who does the work. And God knows how to break in on a community and how to open it up to the gospel and how to establish a church there. Now this church was a, a messy church. And I find that a little bit encouraging because I'm a perfectionist and I, and I want all things to look good and right and just so. And I'm reminded when I read the scriptures, when I read the letters that were written to the churches of old, that they, were, they weren't perfect churches. They had their problems. And, uh, and that encourages me because actually we, we are living in the now and the not yet. The kingdom has come, but the kingdom is also coming and the kingdom will come in finality. And we're going to touch on a little bit of that in just a few moments. So it was a messy church. It's, it's a challenging church. And uh, uh, when you read all of the issues that go on there, and I won't reiterate them because we'll be touching them on them as we go through, but just to notice that they were a messy church, a church knowing and experiencing the, 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 the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. They weren't lacking in any gift. Uh, and yet all, they were also fleshly. Paul says, hang on, guys. You guys are Christians. You are saved. You are in Christ. And yet... You are living like the rest of the world. Where, where, where's the difference? They were behaving like the world from which they had been called out. And in chapters 1 to 4, we discover this. And I'm just going to go through a list of different things that are just enumerated here about this particular church. And the challenges that it has for us and how it speaks to us today in the day and age in which we live. 
Number one, that the, and you find it in chapter 1 and, and verse 12, where you read that uh, some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm of Paul, others I'm of Paulus, I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. And again, in the chapter that we just read, chapter 3. And so they were, they were into the cult of, of personality and charisma. It, they were like the world around them. The, the world around them was very much into performance. At one time, it was about how you used to dialogue and debate and so on. And then it came, became how you impressed your argument upon another person. It became that kind of rhetoric, which means you weren't going to listen to the other person. You were going to impress your ideas on them. And then in order to do that, it also got into performance. And they, as they spoke, they would act and everything would be about a, a tremendous drama and it involved the personality and their, their whole presentation. And, and the Corinthians love that kind of thing. It was their kind of world. And, and we live in that kind of world. You've only got to turn on the television and see X Factor and see, see people who think they've got it and haven't and others who've got it and, you know, and stand out, don't you? But that's the world that we live in. We live in that world where personality and, and charisma is, it seems to be everything and, and character is almost nothing. Fame and, and following were right there. They're seen in, it's seen in their grouping around Paul or Apollos and, and later on the ideas of super or false apostles that you discover in 2 Corinthians. It's about, and then it gets about competition. It gets about jealousy and strife and a temptation that actually is never far away from any one of us. So that's one of the things that they were having to face. They were looking at certain personalities and said, oh, I prefer him above him. Oh, he's, he's far more interesting. I like his charisma and, and all that kind of thing. And, and Paul is saying, no, that, that's worldly thinking. And we'll touch on a little bit more as we go along. And then they were into doing church by the world standards and practices. And you've got that there in chapter 3 and, and through verses 10 to 15 where he says, I have laid a foundation and that foundation is Jesus Christ. And let no other foundation be laid. And how you build on it, be careful how you build. You can build with worldly principles and practices and ideas. And they can, they can look very good and they can have a measure of success to them. But they won't stand the test at the end when God judges all things. And that's something that we all have to grapple with. Whoever we are, wherever we are, wherever we're building, how are we building? And so he challenges them. And when you think of a, a foundation, when a, when a builder lays a foundation for a house or, or anything else, he is laying a foundation that is particular to the, the, to the size and the quality of the, the property, property that he is building. And so it, it is a specific foundation to, to a specific circumstance. And this is what Paul is saying. This is, this is God's church, and it's not built man's way. It's built on a different foundation and according to different practices and principles. The danger, see, was they were in, into, into the possibility of building their own ministries. They were into the possibility of empire building, a temptation that's not far from any of us. We have to face that. I, I read of a guy the other day who was planting a church and uh, he was in, in the States and... and he was praying to God, God, grow my church, grow, grow the church. And he said, as he was praying this prayer, he felt God say to himself, whose church do you want me to grow? And he, he thought for a moment, and, and God said, well, so what do you mean? He said to God, what, what do you mean? And, and God said, well, do you want me to grow my church or your church? 
And, and, and he, he began to examine himself and he began to think, yeah, actually, I'd like a big church because it would make me look good. I'd like a big church because it would make us look good. And then he realized that, yeah, at the end of the day, that would be judged. And he said to God, so what kind of church do you want to build? And he said, God began to outline to him what kind of church he wanted to build. And he said, it, we, we, God wanted us just to get people saved, nurture them up in the Christian life, train them and equip them, and send them on. And he talks about how one particular evening, he said, and it's obviously grown to a reasonable-sized church, he said there were a whole number of people there, and we were going to pray them out. And he said, I looked out at this group of people, and he said, I saw one and two and couples and all sorts, and I thought, oh, my goodness, they are really good at and oh, what are we going to do without them? And oh, what, what about that? What about that? And then he said, I realized that we were about going God's, God's, growing God's church, not my church. And that was the shape of the church that God wanted them to grow. He said, so we've been sending people out, seeing them saved, training them, equipping them, sending out. And that's a question we all have to ask. What kind of church does God want us to be? We can look over our shoulders and see the one down the road and think, oh, perhaps we've got to be like that. Or we can look across the water and see one over there and say, we've got to be like that. For every one of us, it's saying, God, what kind of church do you want us to be? What kind of shape do you want us to take? That's something as elders we, we wrestle with. As we begin to look forward and we look into the future, what kind of church does God want us to be? What is it going to look like? Then again, they were self-indulgent and proud, thinking that the, the kingdom had come in fullness and they had arrived and they knew how to do it. You say, where do you get that from? Come with me to chapter 4 and verse uh, 8. It says, uh, and Paul is using sarcasm here. Sarcasm can be a very good tool, but it can also be misused. Okay, Paul is, is using sarcasm and he says, you think you already have everything you need. You think you are already rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us! Exclamation mark. I wish you were reigning. I wish you were really reigning already, for then we will be reigning with you. Instead, I, I sometimes think that God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We've become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. That, that's, that's something. So, these people thought they'd actually got further than Paul. These people actually thought they didn't need Paul anymore. They thought they'd arrived. They thought they were in a place where they were reigning and they could do it. You see, in one sense, they had too much of the kingdom now. The kingdom that was to come now. And they were saying, we know. We know how to reign. We know how to do this stuff. We don't need you or anybody else. And so there was that sense of self-indulgence, of pride, thinking that the kingdom had come in fullness and they'd arrived and knew how to do it. And Paul uses that very real sense of sarcasm. And then you turn over, turn back to chapter 3 and verse 1. And these words which I think Paul speaks painfully... He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you 
as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian faith. I, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you, you aren't, weren't ready for, for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you're still living like worldly people. Paul was disappointed. He had expected more. Their Christian experience was in, in danger of becoming more about simply right confession and convictions and not about transformed lives. It reminds us that when God saves people, he doesn't just simply save them and say, I'm looking forward to the day when, you're getting, when you get home to me with, in glory. But I actually want to grow you. I actually want to grow you. It would be sad, wasn't it, wouldn't it, if a baby was born and never grew up. As much as we love precious babies... And we've just become grandparents for the third time. So just living that one through again, you know. Precious babies. In all of their innocence and beauty and dependence. As much as we, we love them like that, we would want them to stay that way, would we? Our desire is for them to grow, to mature. And as parents, we have the challenges of, you know, going through the T's, twos and then up into the, the, the primary age and, and then you get to the teens and how you do the teens. And, and just when you think you've got it, they're into the next stage and you're having to learn all over again how to do this stage. And, and then if you've got more than one child and another one comes along and the next one is different to the first one and the third one is different to the first two. And you're having to think, God, how do I do this? Some of you resonate with that, don't you? You're there at this, this moment in time. That's where we need the wisdom of God. You can have all the books in the world, but you need the wisdom of God to raise a family. Yeah? You need the wisdom of God to raise a family. And it's going back to God. God, how do I do this? How do I work with this particular child? How do I raise this, this, this boy to be a son? How do I raise this girl to be a, a, a true daughter? And so Paul, Paul was disappointed. He had planted this church. He'd been there for something like 18 months and gone on, but there had been really very little progress. They claimed they were kings and they ruled, but in actual fact, they, they weren't. They were still back to basics. And Paul's desire is that they should, should grow. And much like he writes to the Galatians, it's, it's that desire to see Christ formed within them. Christ formed within them. We are not meant to be static. Let me ask you a question this morning. Since you came to know Jesus, have you grown in your Christian life and experience? Have you? Are you maturing in Christ? Or have you matured a bit, as it were, but you, if, if you like, you've stuck at a, a teenage experience of being a Christian? <laughs> if there is one. <laughs> Suspect there might be. You know? Have you... Have you grown beyond uh, into, into maturity where you, you can be somebody out, somebody who encourages others and sees them raised up? They're challenging questions, aren't they? I love the book, The Purpose Driven Life, because God's purpose is not simply to save us and get us to heaven, it's that we might engage his purpose here and now. And that begins by going for maturity. 
by growing in God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that makes the Christian life tremendously exciting because it has no boundaries. It's life without borders because who knows how God wants to grow you, how God wants to gift you, how God wants to use you. So the the possibility of expansion is endless. If you're 60 or 70, it's not over. Is it, Patricia? No, Johnny, no. (laughs) It's not over until it's over. It was Caleb, wasn't it, who said, give me this mountain. And, uh, and older people, we, we don't give up and think for one moment that it belongs to the younger generations now. It belongs to every generation, to every one of us. That, that there are more people living to their hundreds today than there have, ever have been. There is a mission field out there amongst the older generations. Every one of us, as long as we live, will have a job to do. But in order to do that, it is good that we grow and we mature in Christ Jesus. And so, there are those few things I've just laid out there, and Paul brings this corrective word. Yeah, we need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. But the big danger for us today, and I've seen it out there in the world, is some people begin to say, hang on a minute, aren't we going a bit over the top and keep patting one another on the back? affirming people when, you know, when, when actually they need some challenging and correcting, etc., etc. And, and that's true. Yes, it's good to encourage. But also, we need correction. I need correction. I need to know if I'm going off course. I need somebody to spot it. I, some, I, sometimes I've got blinkers. I don't always see everything. But somebody else can see it, and they can come alongside you and say, actually, can I just chat to you a little bit about this? That's what the benefit of the body of Christ, where we can help one another to grow and mature in Christ Jesus and become all that we, he needs, that he wants us to be. So in doing this, he, he doesn't do it as someone who lords it over them, as somebody who is superior to them. And he doesn't do it for his own ends, in other words, to gather people to himself. But he does it as a brother. He does it as a father, so he he addresses them as my brothers or my brothers and sisters. And then if you look at chapter 4, he talks to them about being a father to them. He says uh, in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. Notice the the sense of his words there. As my beloved children, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. If there's something that the enemy wants to rob us of today, and we see it in the culture at large, is fathers. The enemy is out to annihilate the principle of fatherhood. Because he knows the power of that principle is not ordained on earth, but in heaven. When Jesus came and he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father, he was saying something. When Jesus taught us to pray, and he said, when you pray, say, our Father, he was saying something. We live in an age of orphans. We live in an age of spiritual orphans. And God gives us fathers. God gives us fathers. And that would be a message in and of itself. 
the importance of fathers. We need them. You need them. I need them. Everybody should be able to look to somebody, I believe, in some way as a father in the Lord. Eldership is about fatherhood. It's not about professional ministry, building my ministry. I remember John Piper wrote a book, Brothers, We're Not Professionals. And sometimes we need to go back and hear those words again. You can do ministry professionally, but that's not fatherhood. Not fatherhood. We want to be fathers. We want to raise up fathers. We want to raise up fathers and mothers in Israel. Because that's how the work multiplies. That's how the work grows. That's how the burden is, is, is spread. As a, as a father, a brother, he reminds them, he brings them back to the, the wisdom of God. A wisdom that is contrary to this world. A wisdom that was foolishness in the eyes of the world. A wisdom that will not allow man to take any glory. <laughs> we live in a world where we just love a little bit of glory if we can get it, don't we? Oh, you look as if you would never want any glory. <laughs> but we do. We live in a world where we like a little bit of glory if we can get it. But God won't allow his glory to go to a man or to a woman. And that's where the wisdom of God comes in. And you see all of that wisdom, this, 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 this wisdom that is the foolishness of God. A wisdom that's contrary to the world. A wisdom that was foolishness in the eyes of the world. And you see it in the story of Israel. God says, I, I didn't choose you because you were a particular, you know, you stood out any more than anybody else. I just chose you. You're, as, you're, you're sinners as much as the rest are. You're hard-necked and all the rest of it. Stiff-necked. Thank you. <laughs> you know? Uh, you think of the walls of Jericho. Any military commander would have said, ridiculous. March around it seven times, gives a mighty shout and it all come down. You've got to be joking. But God's not going to allow the glory go to any military commander. He says, you do it my way. Frank Sinatra got it wrong, didn't he? He got it wrong. We do it God's way. We do it God's way. So you think of the walls of Jericho, you think of Gideon, and, and him thinking, yeah, I need a big army, and God says, whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down. Come on, come on, come on, come on. 300. 300? You've got to be joking. All of those stories in the Bible are telling us something. You think of Naaman going to wash in the River Jordan seven times. What? Really? Me? River Jordan? You, you must be joking. You know, we've got a river here that's far better than that one over there. God says, go and wash in the River Jordan seven times and you'll be healed, you'll be clean. And he goes and does it. And at the end of it, he's healed and he worships God. The wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Think of David and Goliath. There's Goliath, this, this massive, great rugby fellow of a man. <laughs> you know, just to use an in term at the moment. You know, massive, great man, a giant of a man. And they wheeled out all sorts of people to try and, you know, and, and they're all running scared. No way, no way, no way. 
And a little shepherd boy comes along. He's heard God. And God has spoken to him and says, I want you to go and defeat that giant. But you're not going to do it with armor and you're not going to do it with a sword. You're going to do it with some stones from out the brook. Totally ridiculous in human terms. But the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. And here ultimately in this book he brings us to the the wisdom of the cross. A wisdom that's contrary to all human wisdoms. A wisdom where we are all placed on the same footing as as sinners in need of a saviour. A wisdom whereby salvation is found only in Christ alone, uh, through faith alone, by grace alone. In other words, we don't contribute to it in any way. A wisdom that unites us into one body, to one family, to one temple in the Lord. And he brings that out, doesn't he? He says, don't you realize, don't you know, brothers and sisters, that you together are the very dwelling place of God. The the word there means at the heart of the, the physical temple where God manifested himself. And he's saying, that is who you are by the wisdom of God. You didn't get there by cleverness of mind. You didn't get there by, by, by any good things you've done. You have got there through my wisdom, which is the wisdom of the cross. And so he reminds them of who they are, the very temple of God, the place where God dwells. And, and that being the case, it's holy. And therefore, live as such. A call to live into what they are. I, I love Paul's matter-of-factness. I want to go to Paul and say, but you don't understand. You don't understand where I've come from. You don't understand why I'm, why I'm here. You don't understand. And he just says, actually, wisdom of God, he saved you. Wisdom of God, you've got a new life. Wisdom of God, you've got a new power. Wisdom of God, you can make decisions. Wisdom of God, you can live the kind of life that you've been called to. Now, it doesn't mean that sometimes we need to look at things in the past and try and work them out, but I just love Paul's matter-of-factness. There. This is who you are. Now live into it by my power. And so, in order to do uh, that, Paul says that they need to, verse 18 of chapter 3, stop deceiving yourselves. We are very good at deceiving ourselves. Very good at thinking we are better than we really are. Very good at excusing our behavior, excusing our sins. And Paul says, stop deceiving yourselves. Very simply, stop, stop, just stop it. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. Now that's shocking to us, isn't it? Because we live in, a, in an age that affirms our intellect, affirms our ability to do things in so many different ways. And he says, actually, to be wise by God's standards, you need to become a fool. Which is why he says in chapter 1, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. He doesn't say none, but not many. And so Paul's answer to all of this, his answer is, imitate me. So in chapter 3 and verse 5, he, he raises a question. He says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Who are they? Who are they? These people that you, you, you want to, to name and claim and, and follow in particular ways. He says, we are only God's servants through whom you believe. 
the good news. Each of us did the work of the Lord. The Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Who are we, he says? Why should you put us on a pedestal as if we were anybody? At the beginning of his letter, he said, I'm here, I'm doing this because I've been called an apostle to be an apostle by Jesus Christ. I didn't work my way into this situation. God laid hold of me and he called me. And as we just look through this particular passage here and we, we draw this down, I just want to notice that in chapter 4, this is what he says. So, so look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ. Now that, that's an interesting word because this mere servant is actually no more than the, the servant at the very bottom of the ladder like the bottom rowers in the slave ships. That's what he's saying. He said, we are no more than that. Don't count us anything above that. We are simply servants of Christ. That's a challenge for us in the day and age in which we live where, where image and, and, and what I have learned and, and what I can do is everything. Paul says, I am simply a servant. I am simply here to serve you by the grace of God as best I can. No more. No more. And then he says that we're not only servants, so just thinking about this, so he's a servant as opposed to a king. So they're claiming, oh, we are kings. We know how to do this stuff. We reign. Paul says, no, we, we don't have that attitude. We don't lord it. He says, we are servants. We're servants. We claim nothing like that. A rower of the lowest rank, not the seeking the social status as those who would give patronage, as if they were to give something. They are workers in God's field and on his building. Faith and following do not belong to them. Faith and following belongs only to Jesus Christ. And then he says that we are stewards. We're managers. Now a person in verse 2, 4 verse 2, a person who has been put in charge as a manager must be faithful, manager or steward. In other words, he's saying, it's not mine. I don't own this. It's the Lord's. It is his. And all we have been called into is stewardship of his resources. Wow. You see, we, we want to own things. We live in a world that says, if I, if I can get things to myself, I will look better and I look more impressive. He says, we, we, it's not ours. It's God's. It belongs to him. We're simply stewards of it. And we must be faithful in that. And then he talks about the fact that it's through grace. So in chapter 3, verse 10, and then in 4, verse 7, that it's through the grace that is given. So he's saying, actually... It's God who's, who's called me and it's God who's equipped me to be able to do this very thing. So even in the outworking of it, I've got nothing to claim because this is God's grace in me. God's grace in me. And then as you, you go on there, so the results are down to God. We can claim nothing. And, and then as you go into that passage there, verse 10, he says, you know, we're, we're fools. We're fools as opposed to being wise in this world. And then he says, we're weak. 
as opposed to those who would claim strength. Look at me. Look at what I can do. He says, we're weak. We're absolutely dependent day by day by day on God. He says, we're, we're ridiculed. So we're, he's weak as opposed to being strong. He's ridiculed as opposed to the honor of kings. He says, we're ridiculed. We're held up for ridicule every day. Not honored. And then as you read down through that, verse 11, he says, even now we go hungry and we go thirsty and we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We're, we're often beaten and, and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our own living. We bless those who curse us. We're patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. We're, we're treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. There was a very real sense in which Paul walked with a limp. You know, Sometimes God has to weaken us. You think of Jacob and how, God, how he wrestled with God and God touched his thigh. I, I, I look at that story. How can you wrestle with God? And it looked like a pretty even match at the end of the day when you read the story. And you think, how can you have an even match with God? And in the end, God just touches him and there's weakness. God has different ways of of touching our lives, you see, because our strength can get in in the way of his power. Our strength can get in the way of his power. I've known something of what that's like. It's not easy. It's painful. But I'd rather have the power of God than the power of man. There are times I sit there in weakness. But I'd rather have the power of God on me and sit in weakness. Think, how can I do this again? How can I do this? To walk with the limp and know the presence and power of God is the best place to be on planet Earth. And there are some of you here this morning, you you have a limp for various reasons. And perhaps like Paul, you, you feel, God, I wish you would take that away. You have prayed many times. There's something that you've wanted an answer for and you've gone to him and the answer hasn't come in the way that you've wanted it. And Paul had that experience where He prayed to God that this particular thing would be taken away. And he says he prayed three times. I don't know whether it's three times in one day, three times over one week, three times over a period of time. I don't know, but he prays three times to the Lord. Take this away from me. But God says to him, he says, finally the answer comes and God says, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, we live in a world that's, that talks all about human strength of mind and, and heart and body and so on. But you see, this gospel is about an upside-down kingdom that's really the right way up. It's about a wisdom that the world does not understand. 
And I, I believe this morning that there are people here, you have been struggling with something. There are, yes, there are things that need to be resolved. That's a different thing. But there's particular things that you've been struggling with. And you wish God would take it away. But God has brought you into that situation and circumstance in order to make you, in order that you might know him better and in order that you might know his power in your life. His strength can be made perfect in your weakness. And we can multiply that in, in different ways and perhaps that's something you can do in the, in the community groups. Think about that. You see, sometimes I, I look at this particular passage and I say, how do the name it and claim it people deal with this? Paul could have named it and claimed it. I claim provision because I'm hungry and thirsty. I claim deliverance in all sorts of situations. How do, how you, how do you do name it and claim it on that? Now, there are areas where we do pray. There are areas where we do confess, where we do believe. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But there are areas where God works in the messiness of a broken world and he wants us to get accustomed to that and to know in our weakness his tremendous presence and power. And that is staggering. That is absolutely staggering because the world looks at you and says, how can you do that? And you say, I can do it because of his grace that is at work in me. You know, you, you don't have to be, have an amazing intellect or understand everything theologically to witness. All you need is dependence on God. All you need is dependence on him. Basics on understanding of what God has done in your life. Bringing healing is not about how much faith I've got. It's about God's willingness to act and encouraging people to engage with faith in him. So there's a whole lot going on here, isn't there? There's a whole lot going on. He was walking and serving with a limp. He lived with tensions and trials. But in the most severe of which, he, he sought God and he heard God and God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Wow. I, I, can, I can receive that. Can you? I can receive that. Some of you are saying, I, I just want to be strong. God's saying, actually, I'm keeping you weak so that you can be strong. That is the wisdom of God. And that way God gets the glory. So, to close, because time has, has gone. There's a whole lot in there. Fathers. Fathers and mothers. That is so, so important. Is there somebody you're relating to as a father in God? A father who can love and care and speak and direct and nurture and help and grow, etc. In your life? If not, find one. And secondly, out of that, are you helping anybody else? God wants to bring you to the place of being a father and a mother 
in Israel. Someone came to me, came and said during the week, you know, I'd like to do a Bible study. I said to them, actually, why not do a Bible study with two or three other people? That way you will grow and that way you will nurture others. That's what the Christian life is about. So long as you're one step of somebody else, you can help father and nurture and grow somebody else. Just imagine if we, we all got like that in a church community, the t- kind of community that we had. Well, we're not competing with one another, we're just being who God calls us to be. And those in weakness, I believe God just wants to say, I've not answered that prayer for a reason. Because I want you to know me and my power in your weakness. To stop fighting it and rest in God in it and trust him and watch what he can do.